Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I am so stoked. Like, I'm not just excited. Like, I usually say I'm excited. But today, I am really, really just delighted and thrilled to have my guest, Laura Michelle Powers, here with me today. You guys, Laura is a celebrity psychic who has been featured by BuzzFeed, NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox, and The CW, motherboard by Vice Magazine, and the number one Ron Burgundy podcast with Will Ferrell. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm like a fangirl on you right here. We love Ron Burgundy in our household. Laura Powers is a clairvoyant, psychic, medium, writer, actress, producer, and speaker who helps others receive guidance and communicate with loved ones. Laura travels nationally and internationally for clients, events, television appearances, and speaking engagements. She is also the author of seven, you guys, seven books on the psychic realm and hosts and produces a popular podcast, Healing Powers Podcast, on health and spirituality and several other podcasts on film, television, writing, music business, and design. Wow, that is just a mouthful. (laughs) And Laura also works as a psychic, entertainer, and creative entrepreneur. Laura, welcome. I am so glad you're here. Oh my gosh, I always love connecting with you. And I'm just glad that the universe connected us. I feel like sometimes when when that's needed, it just kind of clicks in. And I feel like that's what happened with us. And yeah, I'm so grateful to talk with you and share positive messages with your audience. Awesome. Awesome. So the reason I asked you to come on was because you are highly sensitive and empathic, you know, psychic, clairvoyant, and you are really, really connected to the entertainment industry on sort of both sides of the microphone, both sides of the camera. And, you know, as like as a celebrity psychic, you're working with other entertainers and people in the industry, but you're also doing all of this work yourself. And I really wanted to talk about the impact of being highly sensitive and empath, being an empath in the entertainment world. But before we go all there, I would love to just start with a little bit of like, tell us about yourself. Tell us about maybe tell tell me about your childhood. <laughs> you know, like, like, let's sure. go, let's start at the very beginning. Let's talk about little Laura and what it was like to be a sensitive, intuitive, psychic kid. When did you know you were psychic? When did you know you were an empath? You know, I think I just grew up and I always felt like I was different. And as I got into um, childhood, I learned, I literally saw and sensed things that others didn't see. So I just was constantly growing up feeling like, I feel like an alien. Like literally, I just remember feeling like people aren't like me. I don't like, I just had a really hard relate time relating to a lot of people. And I should say like pretty much everybody just in the sense of just feeling like I was different. 
and understanding that on some level I, I was different, even if I didn't know exactly how. I should also say that my first memory is actually the other side. So I remember from before I was born, that's actually my kind of first memory I can associate with this lifetime is being on the other side. And I was in a circle of white beings and, and basically, you know, the message I was getting, and it was, it was not like a spoken message, but more like a telepathic, you know, kind of message amongst the group was it's time to go, which was meaning it's time for me to incarnate. And I remember being like, Oh God, here we go. <laughs> because I was born into a pretty intense situation. It was an abusive situation with my biological father. You know, so there was a lot of intense energy in that situation. There was, there were some wonderful things too, lots of music and, you know, creativity, but um, so I was born into that situation in France. And then um, my mother left my father when I was five. And that's when we moved from France to the United States. Now, this is a piece I didn't know about you. You were living in, so you were born in France, not in the United States. Yes. And in fact, French was my first language. And I learned English in school because though my mom is American, my father didn't speak English and, you know, we were in France. So my sister and I grew up speaking French as our, our language. And then when we came to the United States, when we started speaking English. So I have this kind of strange experience of feeling so much like an outsider in so many <laughs> mm-hmm. different ways. And I even think, you know, nothing is an accident. I was born um, in Alsace-Lorraine region, which is uh, the region of France. It's Northeastern France near Germany. Um, that's where Joan of Arc is from. And I just feel like that is not an accident. Like my mm-hmm. mom said, when she would push me around in you know, the stroller and there'd be statues of her everywhere. And I think she's really a psychic, you know, kind of prophet psychic. And I definitely think she's one of my soul tribe. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love how you're talking about knowing you were different because this is, there are certain things that I find are like a common thread in every single podcast, every single interview. And one of them is the message of you're too sensitive, you're over- overreacting, you're taking things too personally. Like, I don't know yeah. a single empath who hasn't been told that. But the other one that I've heard again and again and again is that we knew even as little children that we were different. And I always find it interesting when you run into these people who don't quite feel the same as like you feel to me, where they're like, everybody's an empath. I'm like, no, everybody is not an empath. Everybody in the same way that not everybody is an NBA player and really doesn't have what it would take to be an NBA player. Not everybody is an empath. And I think one of the things that feels like a very common piece of this is that even as very little children, we know we are experiencing the world in a really different way than the ordinary, than than most of the people around us are. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's clear by how people react to things. You know, I knew how I was reacting and feeling things and I and I would observe how others were. And it was very, <laughs> it was very different. So yeah, I just think I knew at a very young age, even if I didn't understand exactly what it was that I was really not like most people. And, you know, there's so much pressure when you're young to fit in, to blend in. And so it didn't feel like a good thing at the time. And the older I've gotten and the more comfortable with myself I've gotten, the more I realized these are not bad things. I think these are actually blessings in disguise It's just, we're not kind of given that toolbox or instructions for the toolbox, I should say. And it's like, we have these tools and we're like, I don't know what to do with these. And it almost seems like this burden that we have to carry around all these tools (laughs) because we don't know how to use them at first. We have to learn how to use them. We absolutely have to learn how to use them. And it's not like we just turn on a light switch and suddenly we have all these skills. Well, and I'm just really thinking like, so you were five when you came to the United States? Yeah. So it's five. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we came, um, so it was really quite a shock and there is a very, such a delineated part of my life because we were in rural France. So we had 
we had an outhouse. We had water into the kitchen, but it just went out into the gutter. We raised rabbits for food. Like it was very rural. We lived in a, an old farmhouse basically in rural France. And then we moved to California, just uh, into Claremont, just outside of, you know, Disneyland and, you know, moved into their grandparents who had a swimming pool and everything was super modern and highways and fast food. And, you know, and it was like such this kind of shock and like, you know, changing point in my life in such a different energy, you know, my grandparents, and I'm so grateful for them, were so loving and supportive and nurturing compared with my father who, you know, had a a lot of anger issues and was violent. So I'm so grateful for that change in my life. Absolutely. And I can also just imagine the culture shock that you must have gone through to go from, I mean, it's like you guys were leaving peril with your father, but you were also leaving being kind of off the grid in this much more energetically quiet environment where you as a very sensitive person probably could kind of like, I don't know, function in a way. Yeah. But it was also, um, you know, there were some good parts of that, that sort of life in France too. My parents were kind of hippie musicians and they traveled around and played and, you know, all over Europe. So literally as a toddler, I was on tour them. So when they weren't at home, they were, you know, in Yugoslavia or Greece or, you know, wherever. And I remember like, you know, dancing around at, you know, parties or there, <laughs> you know, so I definitely have this kind of European connection and feel also very at home with traveling in a way that other people don't. And I think that's part of it was just ever since I was tiny, tiny, you know, I was on the road and I got used to that and really appreciate it. And then I took my first transatlantic flight when I was, you know, five. <laughs> wow. Well, and you were also immersed in the entertainment industry from the time you were in utero, like, well, and even before that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So at five, let me see, I'm imagining you were probably going into kindergarten. So you not only, so I'm sort of imagining like you went from this free floating kind of bohemian life in France as a small child, you know, living in the countryside of France to transatlantic front flight to like Disneyland. And <laughs> yeah. W- what an amazing. And so like just age wise, that would probably have meant that you would have been starting school around the same time. Yeah. So I started kindergarten speaking no English. So we were still speaking French at home. My, my grandfather has French heritage from French Canada. And so he spoke French fluently. So, you know, we basically just continue to speak French at home. And I learned English when I started school. And wow. so, yeah, I started kindergarten, literally not speaking any English. And I remember feeling like, you know, like now when you see Charlie Brown and the adults talk and then it's going, wah, 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 wah. but like I people would talk to me and I just kind of smile and nod because I had no idea what was going on. Um, and so, you know, got through it, obviously it was confusing. And then I continued to learn in school and then I was placed in an ESL program with everyone else spoke Spanish. So again, once again, I'm totally like, not like everybody else, <laughs> even mm-hmm. in the ESL program, you know, everyone else spoke Spanish and I spoke French. So I grew up around a lot of Spanish speakers. I mean, basically by the time I was eight, I was going in English. Mm, but that's three years of being kind of living between the worlds and really having this very unusual experience. So, and you came into this life with the psychic abilities, with the intuition, with the sensitivity. It wasn't like you awoke, you know, you had like an awakening to it. You were already there. So I guess I'm just wondering, like, are there any kind of like sort of highlights or sort of like plot points of childhood 
that feel really important to mention before we sort of talk about, you know, the next part of the journey? Yeah, I guess I'd just like to say that I think because I'm an empath, it felt very erratic for me. Like I had a lot of, you know, high highs and low lows. Like I would almost maybe manically from the outside, like very excited and fun and performing. And I like to sing and dance and do all these things to just feeling very introverted and like, you know, had to pull in um, in certain environments. And it took me a long time to kind of unpack that. But I also feel to say that I think as empaths, we really know what we're drawn to. We really know what it is that we're here for. But there's so much programming in society. I remember um, telling a family friend, he asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up. You know, this is a pretty common thing that kids are asked. And I think I was probably about eight years old, maybe seven, but seven or eight. And he's, and I said, I want to be an actress and a model and a writer and a singer. Like I just, it was so clear to me. I'm like, that's what I want to do. And he laughed at me and I don't think he meant it in a mean way, but it was, you know, I just was really like, I guess, precocious and like knew what I wanted. And I just said it and it really upset me. Like, no, that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. I've been thinking to him, like, why are you laughing at me? Like, (laughs) this is it. Like, (laughs) yeah. And it is it. Yeah. I mean, I had my journey. I had to do a lot of you know, unpacking about and and in my family, there's my mom was a you know she was a musician, but a hippie musician and a poor one. You know, growing up when I was especially little, and so I think there was a lot of associations with creativity and poverty. Yes, and so for example, I decided to major in theater in college, and when I told my mom, she cried. So there were all these you know sort of external reflections to me, like this is not a good state choice, or you know this there will be struggle or whatever. And it's so it's taken a lot of unpacking for me to work and resolve that. And also I know that it's, it's collective, it's societal. It's certainly not just in my family, but there's a lot of healing to do there as a collective for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and just, it's what's so fascinating about the phenomenon of the starving artist is that my understanding is that that really, that, that sort of trope or that kind of like meme came with La Boheme. It was sort of like a Almost romanticized. It it was well with and with the romantic, you know, with the romantic poets, with the romantic, you know, with opera, with the expressionist movement, like that, like art was a prosperous business until kind of this Puccini and La Boheme and like this idea of starving in the garret. And so, but but it really it's sort of amazing how like hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years of artists who had patrons and who were supported and able to do amazing work got kind of tossed over for this cultural idea of all artists starve all, you know, and if you're, if you're a musician, if you're an actor, kind of that idea of you've got a snowball's chance in hell of making it in this industry. Like, there is so much bad wire, bad programming and bad messages for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's really prevalent. And by the way, I feel that there are parallels within the sort of healing, you know, spiritual <laughs> community. It's yeah. really, yeah. And so I'm in both, right? So I'm in both. Right. So it's been like, oh, there's a lot. <laughs> Pardon me, friends. There's a lot of shit to move through here. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. We swear in this. We swear on this podcast. Don't worry. About I felt like yeah. you and I were, you know, we're kind of, we're very similar. So that yeah. we'll be okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to go, I want to actually ask you one question, which is as a highly, I know that for many of us as highly sensitive empathic people that as empath, you know, as children, empath children, knowing we're outsiders, knowing we're outliers, knowing we're really different. We often seek solutions that don't work for us first. 
Like I know many of us like eating disorders, drug addictions, alcoholism, other kinds of just like trying to find a way to fit in, trying to find a way to cope. Did you find yourself, was there behavior that you found yourself having to like get like back that truck out of be like in terms of like, did you find yourself kind of going down wrong roads or were you sort of spared that part of the journey? Sure. I think my biggest sort of Achilles heel, so to speak, was the sort of people pleasing, trying to heal, satisfy everyone, which is very, very common for empaths. We feel their people's oh, yeah. energies. We feel their reactions. So we just want to make them happy. And, and then we want to do it by shifting ourselves, right? Which is totally dysfunctional and certainly, you know, not helpful in the bigger picture of things. But yeah, that's certainly what I did. And um, I knew growing up that there was a lot of dysfunction. I just knew it from a young age. And, and I remember asking my mom to go to counseling when I was in middle school and she said no. And I think um, she said it was about money, but I knew it really wasn't. It was really about the fear of having these dysfunctional things looked at was, yeah. I think, quite yeah. scary to her. So that said, I, as an adult, I started to get counseling, but I didn't. I don't think I really knew how to kind of approach it um, in the best way. So yeah, I started to manifest a lot of the patterns that were very unhealthy that I was in when I was young. So I married a very dysfunctional man. Um, that marriage fell apart, which was really a blessing that it fell apart um, when it did. Uh, you know, but it was a very uh, intense learning experience for me. And it, in many ways, I'm grateful for that relationship because it just caused everything to sort of come to a head quickly. And one of the things that it made me realize is that I needed to listen to my intuition. I actually went to emergency counseling when I learned that my ex-husband was not just having an affair, but basically building a life with another woman as if he and I weren't married. So he was looking at wedding dresses with her and stuff as if he and I were not already married and we weren't separated or anything like, you know, so I found out, you know, that was an intuitive hit. I think I just psychically got to like Google his name and I found pictures of him and another woman together. And like, cause she just posted him because to her, it was just like, he's just this guy that she's seeing. Right. So yeah. That was really this kind of ripping off of the blindfolds for me of like, oh my gosh, things are, are not, you know, what you think. And uh, when I went to emergency counseling, the, the counselor was actually very helpful. He said, Laura, on some level, you had to have felt something. You know, he wouldn't let me just kind of be the victim in the situation, even though I was a victim in many ways, but like in terms of my mindset that I needed to own my own piece, mm -hmm. which was very helpful to be like, okay. Yeah, I need, and then I realized I needed to be able to kind of see intuitively and trust that. And I needed to do it even better. And, and a lot of the motivation for me to get my psychic training was because I didn't want to get in a relationship that was that dysfunctional again. Wow. So it, it's so interesting to me how so frequently the gifts that we share with the world started from the thing we needed to address and heal within ourselves. And so what I'm hearing is it was your not, it was like you're overriding your own intuition or your own guidance about or just your not listening and just not, not listening. listening. Yeah, yeah. Like it, there were subtle signs. There was nothing really over, but things mm -hmm. that like in retrospect, when I look back, I was like, Ooh, there, yeah. you know, there were little kind of nudges that, um, you know, early on, I, I, didn't pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of the thing that motivated you because obviously you already had a great deal of intuition. You already had a lot of psychic ability. I mean, I'm imagining you were experiencing sort of psychic or telepathic or, you know, like clairvoyant stuff as a child. Is that true? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I always saw and sensed energy. I'm very clairvoyant and I 
you know, would see things in the physical reality as well as in, you know, kind of my mind's eye when I close my eyes or whatever, clairvoyantly. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking my mom when I was seven years old, if she saw things and I knew based on her response, she just didn't know what I was talking about. So I was like, once again, I'm like, okay, you know, this is, this is just me, but yeah, I saw a lot of ghosts. So mm-hmm. I was very much like the kid in the sixth sense where I would see ghosts, but they looked like solid people. So I couldn't always tell that they weren't alive until they would do something that a live person doesn't do, like walk through a door or just, you know, fizz, fizz out or whatever. <laughs> and so I, I, it took me a while to figure out that that was, you know, a real clever point thing. Like that wasn't really in the sort of discussion as much, you know, when you and I were young versus like now with TV and media and the internet, like it's so much easier to learn about these things. So much easier to learn about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I honestly thought maybe I was crazy when I was young Mm -hmm. just because other people didn't see and sense what I did. Right. Right. And so as I got older into adolescence and then into adulthood, Uh, my gifts magnified. And I think this is common with those who have a life path or purpose in this, like, you know, it's not going to go away because it's part of your path. That said, I didn't really know how to handle, I didn't have teachers in my life at the time. I had talked to some of my family members, you know, my mom and my stepdad, and, and they didn't really know what to tell me. They believed me, which was good, but I did the only thing I knew how to do at that time. This was in college. I just basically decided to try to block it out. And I did. Yeah fairly effectively. You know, most of the time I stopped seeing and sensing most things, but, uh, you know, that really was actually problematic. That was essentially what led down to this, you know, marriage that was very painful for me. And it was literally right when I was getting together with a man who would become my, my future husband that I was psychically shutting down. So I, if you've ever done this, you know, compassion to yourself, because you usually do this kind of shutting down when you feel like that's your only option. Right. Exactly. Um, And then I learned the hard way what happens when you ignore. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. All these things. Well, and it can show up. It's so, it's so interesting how many different ways it shows up. I did an interview with um, a young man, Jesse Veritas, a while ago, who was um, very, very psychic and did that shutting it down. And in his case, it showed up as a lot of physical issues with his body. And it's sort of like, I always think of it as being like, you know, contact, you know, that sticky contact paper that we used to put on shelves and stuff like that. It never failed. You'd have a bubble in the middle of the contact paper, you know, and you could try to push it around and push it under, but that bubble does not go away. And I think with our intuitive stuff and with the psychic abilities, it's like, yeah, you could try to smush that down and maybe you'll move it over to another part of the paper or part of the shelf, but it's going to be there. There's no getting away from it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to say I did have physical health problems. So mm-hmm. um, I started my podcast, Healing Powers podcast, in uh, major part because I had gone through this physical and spiritual transformation. But yeah, basically, when I was starting to realize my marriage was falling apart and everything, I also had a lot of health crises and I had been going to doctors. They basically were like, you're depressed. And I was getting a lot of gaslighting, you know, medically that that everything was fine. I'm like, I've gained weight. I can't sleep. I've, you know, all these things going on. I feel terrible. So I did, you know, end up getting some, you know, diagnoses that helped me. I self-diagnosed and then got confirmation from doctors of some things. But you know, one of the biggest things that helped my health was leaving my toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I literally, I left my ex-husband and like immediately dropped like 40 pounds mm-hmm. without doing anything else. Meaning like I, I did later change my diet and learn some things, you know, I'm highly reactive to weed and sugar. And so I did modify my diet and made some lifestyle changes. But the biggest thing I did was leave that huge source of stress in my life. 
Yeah. And that majorly transformed my health. But you know, to your point, if you have psychic abilities and you try to shut it off, it's basically stuff keeps pouring in and it just like builds up and builds up and there's nowhere for that energy to go. And like, it has to go somewhere or it's going to cause, you know, kind of like compaction of energy in your field, which will eventually lead to health problems and take a little while for them to show up. And in my case, I think it literally took like eight years, Mm -hmm. maybe no, maybe maybe five years serious compound, but even before then, I think was starting to build up. Exactly. Well, and you know, the thing is, this is why I actually am such a strong believer, you know, why the five steps of empathic mastery do not step start with protect. Because what I've realized is that putting a bubble of light up and, or just trying to shut that shit down does not work because all that stuff that we've already taken in is still inside of us. And as psychics, we're still kind of receiving the information, but there's nowhere for it to go. And I always sort of have this image of like, when we just try to kind of protect it or block it or shield it with no understanding of how to process it, what then ends up happening is it just, it's like, we're like kind of a, we become like a pressure cooker where that information just kind of, and then it starts to bang against the insides of our filters and shields and really compromise our integrity and our resilience and everything else that goes along with it. So it's kind of like, this is sort of like, if this, then this becomes kind of like textbook that if, when we try to block the abilities, we really pay. Well, yeah. yeah and I see this um, a lot within sort of psychic spiritual communities of people that are maybe have persecution fears or they're afraid of using their abilities. And so, yeah, they're just trying to protect and block Instead of understanding, like, we don't have extra parts and pieces, like literally whatever we've been given, it is for a fucking reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I say that word on purpose because, you know, we came here with all the things that we are here to do. And if you are trying to deny something, you're in denial of yourself. And it's not this external thing. Like, you know, we, you may not remember it, but you probably have some, uh, pre-life planning session where you're like, I'm coming here to do X, Y, Z. And then you're like, I don't want to do that. And it's like, it's literally you <laughs> deciding these things. So, and, and I was the same, like I had so much resistance to, you know, I call it coming out of the psychic closet or spiritual closet. Yeah. And it was probably the, the thing that was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. And I've done some things that would probably legitimately terrify a lot of people. I'm kind of, a, I'm a physically a daredevil. You know, one of my exes was in the Ukrainian mafia. Like <laughs> I've had a pretty like wild wild ride. Right. And literally the thing that was the most terrifying for me was that coming out of the psychic and spiritual closet Mm -hmm. because of that past life trauma. But I quickly realized when I listened to the guidance I was receiving and I started using my voice in that way. And I started sharing my messages um, about this work that the doors opened and everything got so much easier. So yeah, if if you're just trying to block and protect and you're not channeling what you came here to channel, it's going to be basically ineffective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk about like that moment of realizing that you needed to come out of the spiritual closet. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a really big one. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who are listening who are like maybe in the closet right now or feeling like not necessarily wanting to share that they have these abilities. So please. Yeah. So just to give people some kind of professional context for me and when this was happening in my life. So Um, My undergrads in theater and dance, I got out of school and, you know, again, all these lack paradigms. I was not able, I had gotten a job offer in theater and opera, but it was making like very little money and it it wasn't even enough to cover my student loans. I was like, I can't do that. So I got, you know, some regular jobs. I started working in um, government and politics. 
got my master's degree in political science. Um, I worked in higher education. I worked in the president's office at the University of Colorado. So I was in very like government academic, which is very structured, you know, very stat, very regimented, not really open to psychic work, <laughs> either of those realms. And so that was my most recent kind of professional framework. And then the recession hit, I divorced my ex-husband and I had a, at that point moved to Washington for his work and I got a job at University of Washington. And, and then that ended right when it was a contract position ended right when the recession hit. So I had, you know, had been unemployed and suddenly I was like, Everything that I had been doing was not working, which by the way, if that happens to you, it means that it's a realignment time, you know, so we tend to panic, but it's like, it just means that something's out of alignment and you got to figure out, you know, what it is. And in my case, it was pretty much like my whole life. (laughs) So a lot of work to do. So, you know, I was taking psychic training. I had actually gone and lived in China for a year, which was a you know fabulous kind of life experience. And then I felt guided to come back to the United States and was trying to like figure out job and work. And I'll tell this story because I think it's so helpful probably for anyone who's going through something similar, right? We kept getting these messages to, you know, be public with the psychic work. And I had started to do readings for people through the training and started to kind of just put the message out there, give some free readings to a few people that I felt guided to do it. And I got this idea, um, the guided idea to do readings at a local coffee shop in, you know, it's a public place. I was like, I really on a mental level was like, this is the worst idea ever, <laughs> but that the idea was so persistent and it was guided. And I knew that it was like coming up for a reason. So after a lot of, you know, hemming and hawing and putting it off, I made a little flyer and my home computer and, and asked my friend who in the coffee shop. And she said, yes. And I put it up in the window. The first day I was scheduled to do those public readings, the managing editor of the local newspaper called and asked if to write a story about me. So two days later, I was in the regional newspaper with like a color photo about me and my work. And that is what it was. That was part one part of what it was about was the media coverage. And then my phone literally started to ring Mm. from that article. And I understood the importance of media and that I'm really here to like share messages publicly. It's not just about this one-on-one work, like the doing readings of the coffee shop was about that. And then it was twofold. It was very interesting because I had this angel reading flyer in the the coffee shop and a man I had uh, worked with in politics reached out to me and said, would you be interested in, in doing some uh, government um, political consulting <laughs> because of my angel reading flyer? So I literally got this government you know, consulting position, which was in the moment, it was what I needed to just get some money coming in while I was still building my psychic business. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was hilarious. It literally, you know, the angel readings and putting myself out there brought income in, um, in multiple avenues. And it also showed me that I was supported because I, you know, I think I was expecting all these people to be like, you're crazy and, you know, really critical. And of course there's always the minority, you know, that are, or can be that way, but actually my experience is just the opposite. I had so many people that were just really curious and wanted to know and, and, you know, said, Oh, you know, something like this happened to me or, you know, it just kind of opened this doorway And it was not the terrifying, scary thing that I had projected for it to be. Right. That has absolutely been my experience as well, that my fear has always been substantially stronger and lies like a rug about what's going to happen. And every time I've been willing to put myself out there and just be honest and true and real and not hide anything... It's like the universe, people are just like, oh, okay. Like, you know, it's like people don't have nearly the kinds of hangups that we often have for ourselves about our gifts and our abilities. So I love this story. And I mean, 
it is a pretty remarkable story because I certainly, I'm sure there are plenty of others, intuitives and psychics who are like, oh my God, you got a news article about you. Like you put your shingle up and you got something like that really is like talk about the universe, like being like, yes, this is what you're supposed to be doing right here, right now. I have another story to tell you, which is really funny because I think since we are young, we get these little messages about, you know, what we're here to do. And as soon as I started the psychic, it was very clear to me, you were, you were here. Yes. I still do readings, you know, for individuals and teach, you know, classes with, you know, one-on-one time, but you know, I knew that I was here to like, to educate and communicate on a bigger scale. I, I just knew intuitively. So when I was an adolescent, I was in middle school and I was in 4-H. Are you familiar with 4-H? Yes. So if you're not familiar with 4-H, it's, I can't remember the it's age, hearth, home, health, something like that. But anyway, it's, it's this typically kind of rural organization. Think of like county fairs, state fairs, things like that. You know, people will compete with their animals, like it's showing their animals. But I, we were a, a suburban group, a 4-H troop. And so, you know, we did things like cake decorating and jewelry and, and art. I actually did. I used to be a, a, do a lot of drawing. So I won some competitions drawing it through 4-H then, but we were doing this fundraiser for a 4-H troop. And so uh, for the county fair, um, we did a fortune telling booth, <laughs> like literally as kids, like just what can we do for fun? And like, and there was a, a news reporter at the fair and he took a photo and he Thank you. It's oh, 4-H stands for head, heart, hands, and health. Thank you. And the news reporter ended up taking a photo of me and listing me in the newspaper when I was, I was 12 or 13. And in retrospect, I was like, when I became a professional psychic, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I came across that news clipping. And I was like, this is literally the universe being like, here's this Easter egg, whatever. Like this is free. And I was literally, I had bought a uh, a palm reading book and was like, you know, just like quickly learn some things. And that's what we're doing. And I think we're charging a few dollars or something. And it was really just meant for fun and to be kind of silly. But the fact that I got in the newspaper photo of me got in the newspaper when I was an adolescent for fortune telling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so funny. And at the same time, so perfect. You are actually reminding me of a story about my own experience because I was in high school and we were doing these like fake radio shows like we were doing like a media unit in like I mean I think I was a sophomore in high school and so my friend Brian and I did this talk radio sh- thing and he was Marvin Kempelschnia who was like <laughs> and I was magenta blue the well-known psychic and you knew I, and you, you I know your knew. colors you have colors I, my colors <laughs> my colors the magenta and the blue and I ironically I could tell you everything about yourself by the kind of breakfast cereal you ate like it was really kind of silly but it's like it's those amazing things where you look back and you're like oh my god it's right here like I yeah. knew that early on that this was the work that I was going to be doing so and the I universe provides those opportunities but yeah. we just you know, we don't really know how to see them until we learn to identify those. So for me, there was just this, so much of this, like learning how to read the messages from the universe and understand my own feelings and intuition. And so I just, to anyone who's been nervous about putting themselves out, just if you have that urge, there's a reason. Yeah, and that's, a that's reason. necessarily mean you're going to get a newspaper article or whatever, but it might. And you just don't know. Like, honestly, when I was getting that message to do those readings at the coffee shop, the last thing in my mind was being featured in the newspaper. <laughs> right, right, right. It was really like, I had no idea what that was about. And, and when we get an urge to do something, we don't really know what it's about. And we aren't probably going to find out until we do it. 
And so it's important to just follow this. And I just, I had another example where I was guided to go to this community meeting. I was like, at this point I was out of politics and government. I was like, I really don't, you know, care about a community meeting. <laughs> I was really like, why am I being guided to go? But I went and I learned, and the secretary of the organization ended up becoming my client and long-term client and referring a bunch of people. And it was literally about meeting her, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just passing that on, like, you know, just follow those little nudges. That's where the magic is. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think, that saying, you know, it's like, what is it? 90% of life is just showing up. And yeah. the older I get, the more I'm like, yeah, 90% of life is just showing up. You just, you know, it's like the universe asks you to do something, just do it. And then, but then let go of the result because, you know, I mean, your story about you got the article, like you were featured in this article and then the phone started ringing and everything kind of unfolded. I'm sure there were a lot of like, things between here and there. Like there was like, it wasn't like everything just suddenly life was easy, but I've also, you know, in my experience, the other side of it is that sometimes you get the article and you think the thing is going to happen. that's going to bring you out into the world and make you like you have arrived, you've gone viral. And sometimes it's like, it's just an article and you just keep on, you get to keep on showing up and we don't always know how things are going to unfold for sure. I think, yeah, what you said there is very important. Yes, there were some immediate wins for me. And then I still had to keep moving forward. I still had to follow my guidance. And, um, you know, I ended up shortly after that, you know, stopping doing the government consulting work because I pretty quickly realized I was making like, you know, 10 times what I made for myself, for, you know, per hour, for example, versus mm-hmm, the consulting mm-hmm. work. So there were some leaps I had to take and I had to keep following the guidance. But it's funny, you know, we tend to look at our life from what we want And what I've learned is it's so helpful if you kind of look on the back mirror and be like, oh my God, that's where I came from. And then you can just be in more appreciation for what you have. I just recently had a meeting with my bookkeeper and, you know, basically depending on how you crunch the numbers, what you're looking at, profit, you know, net gross, et cetera, you know, I, in one year, five to 10 X my income and it's still not even where I want it. And, and I'm, I'm not saying this, I'm saying the total gratitude of where I am, but also like, I know it's possible, right? Yeah, but yeah. We, I think whenever we get these wins, we have to just be like, okay, I can still expand my container and ask for more, but then also know that it's really important that you're in gratitude for that, what, whatever that thing was. And even if it didn't, let's say, you, yeah, you get the media thing or whatever, and it's not like, bam, all of a sudden all the doors open, you still got that thing and you have to like fully appreciate it. And if you don't appreciate it, you close that door to more of those kinds of things coming. Exactly. Well, and um, our mutual friend and colleague, Joanna Hunter, she specifically says we must celebrate to calibrate and calibrate to celebrate. Yes. And that, you know, it's like that appreciation, like if you kept on looking at, I'm not where I want to, I'm not hitting my financial goals instead of like, oh my God, I have like at least five x my income in this last year, like what a different vibe between I have five X, which more please universe versus I'm not there yet. (laughs) Like totally different energy. Yeah. So I think when we're going through this process, especially shifting into an area or coming out of the psychic closet, it's really important to accept and honor our wins. And also, I just also feel to share that sometimes these are long-term things. I'll tell another story as it relates to media. And I'm just, by the way, I've just been guided to branch more into entertainment and sort of edutainment, you know, like where you're educating through entertainment. And I had this kind of strange circumstance event show up where I saw a casting notice. And by the way, I do recommend like, 
put yourself out there, right? Like, do you want to be on TV? Do you want to, you know, whatever, be featured on a website? Like, pitch yourself. Like, you know, yes, things just opportunities come in, but you know, you, you have to, you have to put the flyer in the window or you have to reach out. Exactly. Like there's still, even in the spiritual realm, you still have to take some action step, even if it's not a huge one. But so I saw this casting notice. I looked at the casting notice, saw the casting notice. I reached out to the casting agent and it was the craziest thing where the person who was the main sort of feature of this show, I had just met at someone else's house like a couple weeks before. So I, so then they're like, well, that's weird. And then also she said, wait, are you a psychic? And I said, yes. Cause I was just pitching as an actress kind of person at that point. And, um, and she's like, wait, I had dinner with you like four years ago in Beverly Hills. And then she's like, well, we have to use it. Like it was literally to her, it was such a bizarre sort of coincidence. These two things that I got booked. And so I'm just sharing that because that was a four years ago seed. Four year ago seed. Exactly. And no idea. And then it led to two paid television appearances this year. And who knows, maybe something more next year. So you just, I think it's really important, you know, just like when you're planning actual plants, like there's some things that are annuals and some things that take a while to bear fruit, you know, trees or whatever, fruit bearing trees can take many years. So, but just keep planting your seeds and nurturing them. And and eventually you will have harvest, Mm. (laughs) you know, and you're reminding me of something. So I just recently had this amazing lesson about like, so I discovered, because I was interviewing another person who is an award-winning author. And I was like, how did you get all these awards? I was just like curious. I was like, how did you get all these awards? And she's like, oh, I applied for them. Yeah. And I was like, you applied for them. She's like, yeah, that's how you get book awards. And I was like, Really? Because I had this fantasy or this idea that like somehow you're just like people give you accolades and awards because they just happen to like find you and discover you. And it was revelatory when I suddenly was like, no, if you want to get a book award, you have to submit your book to be a, you know, to win. And it was just like, and what you're saying is, and this sort of really reinforces the same message of like, even if the universe is conspiring to support you, to get what you are here to do, to be the person you're here to be, we still have to keep taking the footwork. We still have to keep doing the little things that it's not just like we get to hide in, like we just get to, I don't know, like hide in a cave and then have the universe just be like, hey, you're the best kept secret. We're going to just like, we're just going to reveal you to the world. I think that it's this aligned action will lead to massive results. So It doesn't necessarily have to be this big, massive thing that you do, but the results might be massive, but also it builds over time. And I want to share the story about being on uh, the Ron Burgundy podcast, because I think a lot of people are very impressed by that. And that, that is not actually a one where you pitch. That is one where you get invited. And I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I think that's definitely like a manifest thing. I put it out to the universe, but here's the thing. That opportunity doesn't come if you're not prepared for it on some level. So I asked the producer after I'd already been booked on the show, you know, I'd already done the recording and everything. And I said, how did you find me? And she said, I went to your website. Um, she had been searching for a psychic, like in the area, cause they wanted to feature a psychic on the show. And she said, I, I searched and I found you. And then she said, I spent several hours on your website. Hours, hours, hours. So your website is important guys. So mm-hmm. just sharing that. And you know, what was on my website, my media page. Yeah. All the media appearances I've done so they could see I've been on television. I've been on all these podcasts. I host a podcast. 
oh, by the way, here's all the books that I've written, you know, all this content. So they could see me on camera. They could hear me talk. They could see that I was knowledgeable in this area, which was the psychic work. Also that I was an actress and I had improv experience, like all the, you know, in that sense, it was like this really great opportunity to fit so many of the things that were about, you know, this, this particular opportunity. Um, but yeah, that opportunity, I was only invited because of all the other footwork that I've done all the other footwork that you've done and that you clearly like you had set things up in a way that people could really know that you knew your stuff and that you would be a professional bringing this because I'm sure, I mean, you and I could probably talk for hours about just kind of the ins and out of podcasting, but I'm struck sometimes by some of the pitches that I get where I'm like, oh honey, you are so not ready. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> I, yeah. Put yourself out there, but also educate yourself on what's going to be effective. I, I, cause I host several podcasts. I get a lot of bad pitches and I'm like, read, so I have my podcast, I have a podcasting book. I'm like, read my podcasting book <laughs> because if you're not doing it well, it's not going to be very effective. But to your point earlier, yeah, you know how you win, you submit. And yeah. I recently got a podcast award from the iHollywood Film Festival for my film and television podcast um, called Behind the Scenes of Lower Powers. Same thing. You know how I got it? I submitted it. By the way, this is a prestigious film festival. You know, it's at the um, Chinese theaters in Hollywood Boulevard. That's right where all the, you know, the Oscars happen, like right there, yeah. you know, with high level people. Like this is a big deal, but I only got it because I submitted. No one else is going to submit you for certain things. Exactly. Right? So you have to take that on. Um, and, and early, it's funny because you and I did an Akashic Records healing session on visibility. So I yeah. also want people to know your work is never done. But yes, I've already been in Wolf Heroes podcast. I've been featured by BuzzFeed. I've been on TV. And yet I know there was still more visibility work yes. for me to do because I, I want to continue to expand the container. I'm very appreciative for what I've received so far. And yet at the same time, I feel like there's more for me. So you and I had a session was very helpful. And right after that, I got this idea that I should submit myself to like, or pitch myself for one, one TV or, or media thing a day, mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which sounds like a lot, but once you get into like routine of it, right. You just get into the gets, rhythm of it. It gets easier. You already yes. have certain things put together. Yes. Um, you know how to do it. You have like a template and you know, you have videos created and things like that. So, um, it gets easier and easier, but I started to do that and oh my gosh, things start to happen. So yeah, I got that and podcast film and television podcast award from iHollywood Film Festival. Um, I booked two paid television appearances. I booked several other television appearances. I have a television appearance on Monday. I have some other big potential things in the works. I've been, I have a discussion uh, meeting next week about potentially co-hosting a Las Vegas TV show. I'm based in Las Vegas. Things started to really happen. So I think it was a combination of working on healing, you know, some blocks that were in there, you know, belief blocks that might be holding me back, but also I just decided to take really consistent action. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know, and the other thing that happens is, you know, when you keep submitting yourself for something, each one becomes less important psychologically. Yes. 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 So it's like, oh, you if you have only, all your eggs riding yeah, on that one if you've submitted that for, one basket. Yeah, yeah. If you've submitted yourself for one thing and you don't hear back, oh my God, it can be crushing, right? But if yeah. you've you know, I decided, okay, I mean, I may end up not even continuing this process of pitching because I have so much happening right now, but I said, you know, I'm going to do it for a year, meaning like 365 uh, pitches. But yeah, if you don't hear from one in 365, how big of a deal is that? Like not a really a big deal, right? Not a big deal. Right. So right, I'm, right. 
I'm not about like hustle. I don't want like, Mm -hmm. just like Joanna Hunter. I don't like hustle energy. It's not Mm -hmm. about like just always, but also just consistent action that is, you know, targeted and aligned with whatever it is that you're trying to bring in. Well, and one of the things that is occurring to me and that I really want to, I'm amazed at how quickly time is whizzing by right now as we're having this conversation. But one of the things that I'm also really thinking about is in order to be able to be out in the world and visible as an empath, we need to have our empathic, you know, mental, physical, spiritual, empathic health sorted. And if you are overly sense, if you're picking up all of the, if you're picking up the gaze on you from the world around you and you haven't worked through your empathic sensitivity, it can be kind of lethal. Like it can be really, really painful to be experiencing all of that attention coming at you as well as just being in an industry that is so wild. And, you know, you and I talked before we jumped on about like, just like the aspects of the industry being on both sides of it, but kind of like, what is it like to be an empath in the entertainment industry? And I guess even like, I'm wondering, like as a psychic for other people who are in the industry, like, what would you say about kind of this part of it? Like being an empath in the entertainment industry, am I making sense? Absolutely. Um, so yes, I think that these kind of energetic boundaries are the most important. Um, another way to say that is just, you know, what are you allowing into your energy fields? Yes. Uh, it, you know, what are kind of behavior are you accepting? You know, cause every behavior has an energy and vice versa. So one of the things I pretty quickly went mo- learned when I moved to LA is, oh my gosh, because I lived in LA for a year and then I, I moved away now in Vegas and I've lived in some other places. But I, I quickly learned um, being immersed in that industry, like I have to have really strong boundaries or it's just going to feel like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I, you know, if I, I have the same boundaries out in Colorado and like, it's not going to work in LA, like, because mm-hmm. there's literally a lot of sharks and cutthroat people and just, you know, users and users and there's beautiful things too, but that's what I quickly learned is I'm, I'm really going to have to change my boundaries. And so for my psychic business, one of the things I had to do when I moved to LA and I'm very grateful that I made that change is I'm a book in advance kind of person. Like when I moved to LA, people would pay me at the end of the session. And that's, you know, was what the model that I had been going for, which, uh, just didn't work in LA Mm -hmm. because people are late, Mm -hmm. they're flaky. And it was like, I literally can't even spend my time and energy talking to you until you're like scheduled and paid. So these kinds of boundaries and like, you know, just kind of ways of operating, you have to be, you know, rock hard and also just resilient. And the other thing that is really important to remember when you're in this industry is like never take anything personally and just, you know, either it's not the right opportunity, it's not the right person. And if someone is critical of you, that's just their opinion and just don't let it just be like tough one or whatever. Or, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's also just about, okay, like maybe that's not even the right, you know, I've worked with some casting people where uh, I remember this, there's this one show uh, and they're like, yeah, you look too old. And I was like, you know, I not like an old person or something. And it's just, it can be very vicious. Kind of, we yeah. perceive vicious, but I was just like, okay, that's just showing me that that's not a person to work with. And but it's like, bye Felicia. <laughs> Um, so just learning not to take things personally and also that things are always changeable. Yes. Always changeable. Oh my goodness. Laura, I cannot believe how fast this conversation has whizzed by. Like I could talk with you and I do talk with you for hours. (laughs) Um, 
I guess I'm wondering, is there, I mean, there have been so many incredible jewels and I want to pull something out. You said way back, because I just feel like this is so incredibly important that I just want to highlight it again, which is when you said, when things are not working, it's realignment time. And I just like, that was like, mind blow. There is such power in those words. When things are not working, it's time to recalibrate. It's time to realign. So thank you for that. I guess I'm just wondering, like in this sort of last, like maybe five minutes of conversation, what feels like you absolutely want to be sure that the audience and this message is here, that you've gotten this point. What is the message that you feel like this must be included in this podcast? Yeah, I feel like, especially in this sort of spiritual community, there's um, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of misunderstandings about how certain things work. And, you know, you came here for a reason, meaning speaking to everybody here, everyone came here for a reason for their soul path and spiritual gifts. And if you don't do your purpose, it's like the universe is missing that frequency, that message, that voice. So the analogy I give is like, you know, if there's a choir and your voice is missing, there's no other voice. That's just like your voice, you know, suddenly the baritone's missing or the bass is missing or the soprano is missing. Like that's it's missed, right? It's Mm -hmm. not, no one else is going to give your message just the way that you give the message. I had a client many years ago and she and I are no longer connected, but I remember she, she had gone through, you know, sexual abuse as a child. And she said that she was so grateful when Oprah started talking about that because she didn't have to. And I remember being like, you are missing the point. Like, you know, you, the way you communicate, the way you share your message, it, no one else is going to do it. Just like you, like there may be, you know, there's other psychic actress model, whatever's they're beautiful. I have no sense of competition with that. Like I'm so happy. And also the more that we each step into our beautiful authenticity, the more it makes it easy for others to do the same. And it's like this choir just gets richer and richer, richer so, and richer. Yeah. And if, if there's someone who is, you know, triggering jealousy or envy with you, that is just telling you what it is that you want. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there's something in you that is saying that you can have it. It's just not true. Like go for it. You know, the world is your oyster. I really believe that it's just, we may have to do some work to try to figure out how to, you know, bring those things in, but the world is literally always conspiring in our favor. And I think especially in spiritual circles, it's kind of the opposite. Like, no, oh, there's all this opposition and interference. And I'm like, yes, those things are there to be worked through. But honestly, we are here to experience joy and have a fucking fantastic life. <laughs> So embrace um, it. <laughs> embrace it and focus on the joy, people. I mean, it's like life is going to throw, it's going to like, I mean, we're going to have to do the dishes. Life is going to, as Elizabeth Gilbert talks about, you know, we're going to have the shit sandwiches that we have to eat, but it's like, enjoy the, like the deliciousness at the same time. I love Laura, the things that I'm really taking from this, so many things I'm taking away from this, but one is like, you know, consistency. That was something that you really spoke about, the importance of consistency, the importance of recognizing when it's time to recalibrate, the time to realign, the time to look at things and go, if this is not working, where do I need to go in a different direction? And the thing about, and you never know when something is going, how something is going to play out or when it's going to fruit. Like something could take four or 10 or 20 years before it comes to fruition. And I think that's such an incredibly important message. And also 
the, you know, just put yourself out there, put yourself out there. Oh yeah. And one other thing that I loved is you were saying, the more you do it, the less invested you are in the one win. And I will say, I absolutely agree with you. I've been pitching to a ton of podcasts. And if one podcast is like, you're not aligned, I'm just like, you're right. I'm not aligned for you. If you don't feel the fit, it's not a fit because obviously when we're having these kinds of conversations, the chemistry has to be good for a podcast to be exciting. Otherwise, it's just like, why is somebody going to bother listening and wasting their time if it's like just people are like calling it in and like, you know, robotically talking about stuff? So, Laura, this conversation has just been delicious. It has been so good. Before I let you go, I've got two more questions. One question, which I'll ask you to ask, answer last, is how do people get in touch with you? Like all of that kind of stuff. But the question that I'd love to hear from you is if you could go back to that struggling, like maybe either just getting into her, you know, denying her psychic abilities or just getting, you know, and getting into her marriage or just getting out of the marriage, but just like that period of time when you were kind of young and fraught and struggling, what message would you give her? What, what does she need to hear? Don't be afraid of rejection because if people reject you, then it means there's just something better and they're not for you. (laughs) I think with empaths, we tend to try to please others and we're totally missing ourselves and pleasing ourselves. And also it's, it's like this one-sided thing. Like I've been focusing more on like love and allowing more love in and so many empaths are so focused on giving that it's almost impossible for them to receive. And it's like, what if you found someone who loves to give Mm, mm -hmm. and you just received? So just, you know, when you're rejected or you perceive to be rejected, that doesn't mean you're a rejectable person. It just means it's not the fit. It's not aligned. It's not aligned. Going back to the other piece you were saying, when it's not working, it's not aligned. It's time to realign. Laura, thank you so much for being here. This conversation has just been so delicious. It's so vibrant and juicy. And oh my God, you got to hang out with Ron Burgundy. (laughs) (laughs) So how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, and just one quick thing to say, you know, whatever is that kind of like pie in the sky, like wouldn't that be crazy if X, Y, Z, what if it could happen? Like, and guys, I'm good at calling these in. Like I had like Oscar night several years ago, three years ago, no invitations to anything with the Oscars decided I was going to go end of the night, getting a private serenade by Jamie Foxx at the piano at the John Legend, Jamie Foxx show. Crazy. Like you can, it is possible. These wild things are possible, just magic. So you can have it too. I'm just, I think I'm just been practicing it consciously. So I'm mm-hmm. able to bring in the mm-hmm. magic more kind of dramatically than some people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's possible for you. And yes, if you want to connect with me, my psychic website is healingpowers.net. Um, my podcast is healing powers podcast. It's on all the major podcast platforms. I'm on Instagram at Laura powers 44, the number spelled out, you know, the number, the digits versus spelling, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, you can always reach me email bookings at laurapowers.net. Thank you so much. Uh, it's such a pleasure to connect with you. I always love to do that. <laughs> oh, so, so good, Laura. Thank you so much. Can I just say one other thing? Please. Um, I just got this little thing that, that I think the guide for me to say, which is, if you are feeling called to entertainment and being visible, there's something there. I get that there's a, you and I have some past life history 
Yeah. Um, oh, we yeah. both have were in old Hollywood. And just saying that if you're feeling that pull, there's something for you there. Like, listen, you know, that there's rewards, um, there's healing to be done there. So if you have that, just basically, you know, kind of follow that white rabbit or whatever <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and go down that journey. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing. It's like, if you feel the call, whether it's entertainment industry, whether it's writing a book, whether it's running a podcast, like this was an example of, it's funny, I started this podcast over on one of those sort of like large platform radios back in 2019. And it's so it's been sort of like slowly revving up, but now it's like, there's just this momentum that I'm feeling, but like spirit was just like, you must do this. And I was like, okay, I'll do this. And I think that's the thing. It's like, listen to the thing, listen to the calling, listen to that still small voice within you that is saying, this is what you, you know, this is go in this direction, do this thing. This will be exciting. And I also love how, I think one of the reasons why you're man, you can manifest some of these things is because you're, you're manifesting what you actually desire as opposed to what you think you want. And that's something I see happen for people is like, are we really admitting what our truest heart's desire is? Or are we just going along with what we think we should be wanting? And there's something about when we really say, this is the thing that I deeply, deeply, madly want. It has a way of showing up. Yes. And yeah. So for example, when I was, you know, going through my divorce and the recession was happening, I kept trying to get a job in politics. And I think on a soul level, I was just done. Yeah. I, and I did get a contract new position, which was helpful. It was just what I needed. It was like a part-time thing to tide me over. And that was perfect because it was more flexible and it allowed me to continue to build my psychic business. But yeah, I just basically was putting in so much energy into trying to bring in a, a government political job. And on a soul level, I was kind of, well, fuck that shit. <laughs> Do that anymore. <laughs> so yeah, sometimes that's what's happening is we need to realign our goals and our actions to what it is that is truly what we want. Totally. Totally. Oh. <laughs> and by the way, you may feel like you want to be in politics and government. Bless you. Like, you know, if that's what's alive for you, it just was no longer my, my line for me. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought I wanted to be the first woman president. I outgrew that, but <laughs> oh, no, me yeah. Me too. But it wasn't that I was a woman, but I, so I was born in France. And so I couldn't be president. And when oh. I learned, when I learned I couldn't be president, when I was, I think six, I was seriously upset. Like I was mm -hmm. like, what do you mean? I can't be right. <laughs> so yes, we have that in common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We definitely, definitely share a lot of interests and commonalities. <laughs> Laura, thank you again so much for this amazing podcast, this amazing interview, this amazing conversation. It has just been so rich. Thank you. <laughs>we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. 
And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.